0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
1: Alrighty, friends. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, I got a dog over the weekend. Uh, yeah, right? Right? That's uh, That's the reason why I haven't lost my mind. I mean, how cute is that dog though? Seriously? I mean, l- l- can we just all agree that lab puppies? Game over. Like, check, please, game set, match. Uh, she's a full bred fox red lab, if you're wondering. So she's like a yellow, but she'll have like really dark golden color. I mean, adorable. Uh, a lot like the, the dog I first, uh, the first dog I ever had growing up. So maybe I'm reliving my childhood. All you psych people in the room, you can talk to me later. Um, but yeah, we got a dog, and I remember when I was when I was when we were first having children, we you know show off our little baby, and people were like, oh yeah, we have a puppy. and I'm like, yeah, that's really not uh, the same, I, like at all. I mean, who even thinks that like human canine, right? Uh, I stand corrected, guys. On this side of it, there's a lot of similarities. I'm working on about five very interrupted hours of sleep uh, over the past week. Uh, you know, we've set our alarm to go off every two hours to go and get, this is River, by the way, River the dog, and take her outside. She does not like her crate kennel, so if you've got tips on potty training, crate training, I am all ears, all right? So, um, but uh, in all seriousness, um, this, having a, having a dog, having this, it's like a new world. It's like I have entered a new reality where everything is now filtered through the lens of this cute little canine who's 13 pounds, um, like the other day, we got it on Monday, Memorial Day, and I had a you know full week of scheduling that I had not planned on having a dog for, it, it was, this wasn't on a whim, but it was definitely driven by uh, the other half of my family, <laughs> and I finally caved, I caved, I totally gave in, like I'm a softie, and uh, we now have a dog, um, but I had all these things planned, and you know, I wake up Tuesday, and Laura's like, oh, I picked up, a sh- or Tuesday morning, she works, and I'm like, I've got, like, three meetings in a row. What are we going to do with this thing? So I brought the dog to the coffee shop with me. It was just, like carried her. And I'm telling you, single guys, babies, and puppies. Chick magnets. Like, if you're looking to pick up gals, or, you know, I guess it could work the other way, but it was mostly women who came. there. oh, my gosh, so cute. And I'm just like, yeah, great, okay, uh, here's the dog. That's, the, that's, like, the closest, you know, wedding ring. It wasn't middle finger, it was wedding ring. Uh, like, Hi, nice to meet you. And that's the only time that's ever happened to me, you know, where people come up to me and just Laura's like, "Really? Like, what kind of people?" And I'm like, "Doesn't matter, babe. Doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know. It's, it's not not really important, is it?" So, um, but in all seriousness, everything kind of stops. Everything filters through this lens that we now have of River the dog, and it's like our our reality has been altered. I had hops growing in the backyard. For beer brewing, well, little did I know that when dogs eat hops, they die. Did you know this? Yeah, they're they're like fatal to canines. Hops are. Who knew? The internet's dead. the internet's new. So I moved all my hops. I transplanted them out to the front. Uh, I put uh, we put all the shoes in one place now, and you know, away from River the dog. We closed the pocket door in the basement. We never do that, but this reality has changed everything. Now I tell you all this because I think that you might be able to relate to this idea of. These moments in our life where we have an experience that then changes the way we view everything, right? Marriage maybe was one of those for you, where, and if it wasn't for you and you are married, it should have been. (laughs) One that changed everything, and now everything has to go through this filter or this lens. Uh, Having children was certainly, maybe going off to college, uh, I'm not there yet, but when kids get their driver's license, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we got a couple of, of amens here in the front. Uh, you, you get what I'm saying, I think. This passage that we're going to read this morning, we're going to study, I think, um, has that kind of, a, of gravity, that kind of weight, that kind of, this changes everything, is essentially what Paul is saying. So I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, if you're not there. Um, we're going to read uh, through uh, chapter 6, verse 2, so I invite you to stand, and we will read God's word, and then we'll dig in here. Paul says this, one of his most famous passages, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And and he has committed us to to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation pray with me. God, as we open this story, this text, this letter written to this church, um, maybe no bigger than the group of people sitting in this room, who heard from this man named Paul, who was an ambassador, a representative of something that had happened, who ended up giving his life for this cause. Would you speak to us? Would you, wherever we're at, whether we have said yes to Christ or not, would you meet us where we are and speak a word of hope and of grace, and of challenge, of invitation to us. I pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Surgeon General's warning on this one, guys. This is a really, really, really deep and important foundational theological concept. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to unpack it in ways that are, that are at least not entertaining, but that are interesting to try to you know, uh, carry you along in this. But I just want to warn you that this one is, uh, if you don't get this one, if you don't get what Paul is saying here, I think you run the risk of living from a place or living from uh, uh, resources that you were never intended to live from. But if you do, it changes everything. It's like getting a puppy. (laughs) So that's a terrible analogy, but I just went with it. So here's what I want to do. I want to unpack this verse, the first section of it, especially anyone who's in Christ New creation, old is gone, something new has emerged. I want to really focus on that. We could do six or eight weeks on this whole passage. There's a lot here. But I want to focus on that. And then I want to kind of come around on the backside and ask a couple of questions. It's my belief that when we read the scriptures, we often come to it looking for answers. Right? I remember as a kid when I was in youth group, I, people told me this. You know, The Bible is your answer book. It is your guidebook. Ah, I'm not so sure about that. It's 66 books. It's written by lots of different people over a course of a lot of different years. And there's a lot, this is a tricky book. And friends, it does not address some of the things that we face in the 21st century. It just doesn't. Now, is it any less the word of God? No, that's not what I'm saying. But when we come to the text, I want to suggest that we not do it looking for the answer to our question. Rather, and this is where I think the rabbis help us, we come to the question with question or we come to the text with questions. I think that the text often leads us right up to the door, right? And it puts our hands on the door, and should we turn the knob and open it, what we find on the other side is not the answers to all of our questions, but rather an encounter with the living God. And this encounter, these encounters change us, they challenge us, they invite us into being more and more fully human as God intends us to be. So I think that this passage... and and many others, ask us or or invite us to ask a few questions. So that's where I want to land, and I want to spend some time there. All right, so let's dig in. Uh, If then, if you clean your room, I will give you ice cream. I have said that to my children. I know that people say don't bribe your children. There's this guy, Alfie Cohn. Any parents ever read Alfie Cohn? Bullocks to that guy it doesn't work it just totally doesn't work so if you feel bad for bribing your kids i'm just gonna go ahead and say it don't maybe don't do it all the time But sometimes you just got to pull that card out and bribe them if then right if then these are these are it's a clause it's a conditional clause right it moves in a direction first this then that i'm curious this is play along this is not a rhetorical question what are some of the if then statements that you have heard recently? Maybe they have to do with children or work or school or whatever, but what's an if then statement that you've heard recently? Go ahead and shout them out. Maybe you've used it. If then. then you get the together. If what? If then you get the together, you could. Yes. If you could get your stuff together, then dot, dot, dot. Yeah? What else? the highest bidder. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys, when we first started Awaken, we did these things called Everybody Sundays once a month where we had all the kids in, and we were like, we want the kids to worship with us. We want it to be a family thing. And I had moms come to me and say, that is not fun. Would you please stop doing that? It's a gift. To me, to have my kids next door so I have 30 minutes without them hanging on me. Please don't take that away. So we just recognized the limitations of Sundays and said, if you come to church, you will get childcare. <laughs> awesome. Yes, what else? Yeah, if you go to college, you'll get a high-paying job right out of college. If you really. College, you of debt. If you go to college, then you'll have lots of debt. Yes, yes, true. What else? Maybe one more. If you vote for me, then I will fix the potholes in St. Paul. (laughs) Liar! (laughs) Liar. I've almost lost axles in St. Paul. Yeah, if then. If then. Paul begins this section, if then. He says, if anyone is in Christ, then. And he lists three things. And this, gang, is game-changing. So stick with me here, okay? In Christ. What does Paul mean when he says in Christ? Just the other day I was having uh, beers with some friends, some guys. We get together uh, every now and again. And one of the folks posed this question. We were talking about the spirit of God. And he said, so pretend I have no idea what you're talking about. What is the spirit of God? And I watched four relatively well-educated, relatively well-adjusted men really, really struggle to try to explain what exactly is the spirit of god we talk about the spirit all the time right i mean for crying out loud we're trinitarian people father son spirit but what is the spirit and i I found myself trying to answer the question and then i'd use a word and i was like oh wait that doesn't work because everybody over here knows that but you don't and then i'd try a different angle and it's like ah that doesn't work either and i we found ourselves just floundering when paul says anyone in christ This is a phrase that we've probably heard if we've been around the church for any length of time. But what exactly does he mean when he says that? What's at stake or what happens? What what becomes yours? What does that reality look like? So I want to unpack that a little bit. I think if you look at Paul's letters in the New Testament, you look at other letters in the New Testament, you find that some things happen or some qualities are there when someone is in Christ. Maybe I could say the first, someone who belongs to Christ. If you're in Christ, you belong to Jesus. Uh, In some very beautiful and mysterious way, we have been bought with a price, those who have said yes to God. So the scripture says that you've been bought with a price. Your life is not your own. God has in some way paid a ransom to get you back from sin and death and evil. This is one of the ways that we understand what happens at the cross. That God pays for me and ransoms me back and buys me, so to speak, when I say yes by faith to Christ. So I belong. One of my favorite parts of being a pastor is doing weddings. I've done lots of weddings, and I love weddings because usually I've done a couple weddings where it was a little dicey. You know, you've been to that wedding and everyone's kind of like, ah, this is going to be, could be awkward. You know, if, if crazy Uncle Rico shows up, this is going to go down. You know what I mean? But most of the time, weddings are great. You know, everybody's ready for a party. There's good food and good wine and beer. And it's like, I am always ready for a party. So I say yes to any wedding that I can do. One of my favorite parts about weddings is that moment after I do my little shtick, my little, you know, sermonette, if you will. Then these two people stand next to each other, and I have them face each other, and they begin, and I love it when people write their own vows, not that not writing your own isn't better or worse, but it's just kind of special when you you get to see a window into their kind of relationship, and one person says to the other, essentially like, I am yours, I belong to you, not in some sort of patriarchal power over, but in a very real sense, I belong to you, and you belong to me, and there is mutual submission that happens, and there is this this new reality where I am—I I belong to that person. I belong to Laura in, in a sense, and she belongs to me. And when we're talking about God, Jesus gives himself to us in the same manner. This is why the marriage language is all over the scriptures. And so I belong, if I'm in Christ, I belong to Christ. And get this, gang, Christ belongs to me. Christ belongs to you if you're in Christ. We don't think about that very often, right? It's always God kind of doing God's thing. But God covenants God's self to you and to me. And in a very real way, just like in marriage, I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to me. There's a responsibility that Christ has covenanted himself to in a relationship with me and with you and with the church. It's actually quite beautiful. So someone who belongs to Christ. If you're in Christ, it's that. It's, It's at least someone who lives in the sphere of God's power or Christ's power. Now, I talk about the kingdom of God a lot. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God a lot. And unless you watch a lot of Game of Thrones, you might be thinking kingdom, kings, like it's a metaphor that maybe doesn't work so much. What is the kingdom of God? When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this or the kingdom of God is like that, what is is he saying? One of my favorite authors says it this way. It's the dome under which the rule and reign of God is actualized. So it's the place or the places when the hopes and the dreams that God has for creation are actually becoming real. Now, if you do if you do any sort of uh, 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 sociology or anthrop- anthropology, you will soon find that we we goof this all up, humans, right? Because of our ability to choose and make choices that have an impact, we can live inside of or for in the, in in flow with God's kingdom or against it. And to the degree that we do. God's kingdom, this power that God exercises in the resurrection, is a part of our reality. It's a part of our world. So someone who's in Christ is someone who belongs to Christ, but someone who lives in the sphere of Christ's power, what God has done in Jesus on the cross and in resurrection. It's somebody who's united with Christ. Again, turn to the marriage metaphor in scriptures. When the scriptures talk about the two becoming one flesh, there's something deep and profound that's happening here. When you give yourself fully to another in sex, something happens. There is a bond and a union that takes place, and that's why sex isn't just sex. This is where I would submit culture and or, or the movies have got it totally and completely wrong. It's not just that. It's something far deeper than that. And in the same way, when we give ourselves fully to God in faith, there's a union that takes place, a connection, an intimacy. The scriptures talk about God being like a lover. That's not just poet, it's not just poetry that's you know flowery and nice. There's a real sense in which we're connected and united with Christ. So someone who's in Christ. Uh, Lastly, I would say part of the body of Christ. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians when he's talking to this same little church. He says, Listen, gang, you're all running around doing your own thing, but you're a part of a body. You are many parts of one body cohesive unit called the body of christ the church the ecclesia the called out ones and so someone who's in christ when paul says if you are in christ what does this mean it means that you're you belong to christ it means that you live in the sphere of christ's power that was exercised in resurrection it means that you're united with christ in some mysterious and divine way and that you're a part of this body of christ now the million-dollar question, of course, is, well, how do you gain access to that reality? I got a new reality by paying $600 for a Fox Red Lab. Maybe, maybe too much, I don't know. I think from what I've, what, the, the shopping we did, it wasn't too much, but it cost a bit. But now we have this new dog. How do you get this reality? By faith. Anselm says, faith-seeking understanding when I was five years old in the laundry room at Pam Gall's house at a, at a vacation Bible school, I said, as much of me as I knew, said yes to as much of God as I could comprehend at five. Just after singing, I will not fly over the enemy, march in the ar- infantry, shoot the artillery, which is an interesting song <laughs> for another day. I said yes, in faith. I understood something about the fact that I, was, I, I, I did not live into all that God hoped and dreamed for me as much as I could. And it happened maybe at a deeper level when I was 14 on a shore, uh, the shore of Lake Michigan. When I said yes in faith, how do you gain access to this reality? It's you, you count the cost and then you take the step. And you trust that what is underfoot will hold though you can't see it though it may not make as much sense as you would like it to be or like it to there is a very real sense in which you take a leap geronimo it's by faith and what paul says is if you do that when you say yes to god yes to christ by faith you are in christ which means all of these things then and this is where the payout comes this is where paul gets really good he says if then what happens well, he starts with new creation. New creation. And here's the interesting thing about this sentence. In the actual language in which it was originally written, uh, for those of you who, who are really good with English or just know how to speak properly, you'll know that a subject and a verb are very important to a sentence. Right? Yes. The answer is yes, Micah. Those are important. There is no subject or verb in this sentence in the original language. Here's how it reads. If anyone in Christ new creation... It's like, bam, this new thing, it's there. The old things have passed away. Behold, has emerged new is how it reads in the, in the, in the original language. And the translators add a subject and a verb so that it reads a little bit more. I kind of like it the way it's written. Anyone in Christ, new creation. So what does that mean? The rabbis often talk about this idea that God uh, is seen in the text creating multiple times. So, uh, it's when God, in sort of these dramatic episodes, creates something that has the potential for life, because this is what God does. Creates the possibility for flourishing, wholeness, and delight, right? We see this in Genesis 1. God hovers over the water, over the void, over the deep, over the chaos, and makes order and beauty and life come up out of that. Creation number one. Creation number two. Hard to maybe get your head around this one, but actually, many of the rabbis would say that the flood. Genesis 6 and 7, everything about creation was headed towards death. We see God dramatically intervening and offering a new possibility that actually has life as possible. Creation number 2. Creation number 3, Genesis chapter 12 with the Israelites. This new creation of this people group in the world called Israel. And then the last one that they talk about is that uh, in Exodus 14, when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea and came through this birth canal, so to speak, experience, and out on the other side emerged this new fledgling, the birth of the Israelite nation. Now, as a Jesus follower, I would go on and say, and Paul would agree with me, bam, how you like me now? I would agree with Paul. He said it first. Jesus is the first fruit of God's newest creation. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus comes out of the ground at Easter, what we have is a world that's filled with death and dying, decay, dry soil, and out of that cracked and dry ground burst forth the new sprout, the first green flower of an eternal spring. I love Chronicles of Narnia, right? That, that language of uh, always, always, always winter, never Christmas. This new eternal spring. Like, God is doing new things right here in the midst of this broken and dry ground. What's happening at Easter is God begins a new creation, and it begins with Easter. Anyone who is in Christ, bam. That power, that reality, that new things come up out of death is yours. It's ours, it's the church's, and it's for the world. Come on now, gang. I mean, this is good stuff. This is filled with hope and resurrection and possibility. So new creation is yours. It's the first flower pushing out of the ground. What God did for Jesus at Easter, God will do in full for all of creation and anyone in Christ. Think about Jesus' experience post-resurrection. Our experience post-death and after resurrection, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, he takes a whole chapter to line it up. God will do for all of creation and those who are in Christ what God did for Jesus at Easter. It's good news it's good news it means that death does not win it means that sorrow is no more it means that there are no tears there is no more sea which is evil chaos destruction new creation what else does it mean if you're in christ new creation the old has gone by show of hands how many of you in this room have something about your life you don't have to tell us what it is there's no mind readers in here But something about your life that you would like to be gone, some habit that you have that you cannot shake or that you just, you'd want to be gone right now. Go ahead, raise your hands. And those of you that aren't raising your hands, I know that this is crowd participation. I know you don't want to participate, but the bottom line is we pretty much all do, right? Here's the deal. And I, I hesitate to say this because I've been a part of too many church set settings where it's like the pastor says something, and it's kind of cliche, and it's sort of black and white, and it's like, well, if you do this, then you get that. So just do this because you don't have that. So that means you're not doing this. It means you don't have enough. You know what I mean? You've been there, right? Gang, what Paul is saying is if you're in Christ, new creation has come, and the old has gone which means that to the degree that I'm submitting myself to resurrection power in my life and the Spirit's work in my life, then the old Micah gets less airtime, gets less play. These idiotic things that I do that I will not share with you in this setting become less and less and less, and what becomes more and more and more is new creation in me. Now, it's not black and white. It's not easy peasy. You know, you can't just like cut and paste. I know that that's not true, but there's a very real sense in which This is the hope of the gospel, that as we submit ourselves to the work of God in our lives, we become more and more and more like Christ. The new creation, the old has gone, and this last part that he says, new has emerged. And this one, there are a couple of metaphors that for me, I just hang on, right? We're talking about big theological concepts. The one of spring and this new thing, I love that picture. To me, it speaks to my soul. This one New has emerged. The word emerge that's used here, it literally means to give birth. Or something new to be born. So what's Paul say? New creation, this new thing that God is up to in the world is now yours. The old part of you that is of death and of sin and of destruction and evil, that's fading and something is actually being born in you. Have you held a new baby lately? Man, just the other day, my brother had a baby. Uh, uh, no, my brother did not have a baby. My sister-in-law had a baby. I went to see this little child, Ivan, E-I-V-I-N. Anybody know what that's from? Yes, yes, I'm pretty sure it's Alaska Frontier. There's this guy named Ivan, and I'm pretty sure my brother has a man crush on him. I've never seen that name before, except on Alaska Frontier. I'm pretty sure he got it from there. So Ivan, this, this, this child, this child, right? I'm there yesterday. Five days ago, it was not in the world. It was like inside of another human being. I mean, do you ever stop to think about the miracle? This, this, this life was breathing water, and now it's breathing air. I mean, mind-blowing, right? The, the, the idea, the metaphor of birth, and what happens when a new life emerges and takes that first breath you know that gasp oh gosh something new is born in you this is the truth of the scriptures this is the reality paul is talking about that something actually is born in you and just like this new little baby it comes out of mom and it and it and it's alive it's real it's like its own thing And then it grows and it begins to walk and learns how to eat and all of these things and it becomes a, hopefully, a mature human being that can contribute to the world. This is exactly the same metaphor as discipleship. When the church talks about discipleship, it's the metaphor of being born. What does Nicodemus say? How can you be born again? What does that even mean? Jesus says, born again, born anew, born of the spirit. When that happens... There is this process by way we we say yes to the work of the Spirit in our lives and more and more and more and more and more the life of God, the life of Christ happens in me. God, I pray. and happens in you. And it's called maturity. (laughs) It's called discipleship. Where you become more and more and more deep and and solid and firmly planted in the reality that Paul's talking about here, which is in Christ. That you don't get life from something else, that you don't get life from your, your job or your work or your money or people or relationships or those that reflect you back to you. No, you get your life here in Christ. So, Paul ends this chapter or this section when he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He says, we, Timothy and I, we are ambassadors on behalf of this new reality that has happened. Jesus, death and resurrection, new creation. We're ambassadors of that. We're representatives of that. And now we're here telling you. So if you remember back from the beginning of our study, they're not even sure if Paul's real. They're wondering if he's an apostle, if he's like you know, actually has the spirit of, of Christ in him and all this other stuff. And he's like, we are ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation that we have experienced in Christ and now we give it to you. Don't let this be a waste. He even says it in, in verse uh, two, uh, uh, or verse one of, of chapter six. As God's coworkers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Don't make our work in vain. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's power. So, I will close this by inviting you to consider. What does it mean to be in Christ? Have you said yes by faith to this reality? Either Jesus was real, he died, and he actually rose from the dead, or he didn't. I mean, that's essentially what the whole thing hangs on. And so I would invite you to consider the reality of that truth. Because if that's true, game changer. You just bought a dog. <laughs> And now everything else, everything changes in light of that reality. Okay, guys, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm going to stop now. What I want to invite you to do, I began and talked about questions that I think the scriptures kind of lead us to. I want to I lead you in a process. I'll invite Bree to come. She's just going to quietly play underneath. And I want to, if you would let me, I want to lead you to consider some of the questions that I think that this text is asking us to consider. And I would, uh, whatever you have to do to kind of get in your own space, if that's close your eyes, bow your heads, if it means move, if it means find a quiet corner, just go ahead and do whatever you need to do to get there, all right? And uh, and I want to lead you in this process. In the church tradition, this is called cataphatic prayer. It's where we engage our imagination, trusting that the Spirit of God leads us to truth, so there's nothing to be afraid of, there's nothing to be scared of. And and we trust that God's Spirit leads us. And so we we want to make these truths that we say we believe, concrete and real in our minds. To the degree that they're concrete and real is the degree to which they can change us and transform us. So I want to try to unpack some of these things in just the last couple of minutes here. Okay, so if you would, just take a couple of deep breaths. And as you exhale, in your mind's eye, put down all the things that you carried in here today. Stresses, tension, anger, bitterness, a relationship, job, uncertainty, the feelings of insecurity or not measuring up. Whatever it is you brought here, I want to, as you exhale, take a couple deep breaths and imagine putting those things down, however you represent them. Just set them down. just in the quietness of your own heart whatever it sounds like for you to say God I'm here I'm present I'm available in Hebrew there's this word here I am just say that to God and I want to encourage you to really let the spirit lead you on this Lead your imagination, and I want you to imagine what does it mean to be in Christ? What's the picture that God gives you? For those who have said yes by faith to Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? Make that concrete. Make it real. Let the Spirit lead you. take whatever image that that you have, Paul says, I am an ambassador of this reality. I'm a representative in the world of this reality of being in Christ. What does it mean for you to be an ambassador, a representative of this picture, this beautiful picture of being in Christ in your world? family in your workplace let the spirit lead you what does that look like what does it mean to be an ambassador of that reality last question to participate in the reconciling work of God that was completed in Christ began and completed in Jesus in what ways are you participating in the reconciling work of God in the world maybe it's you love your kids as well as you possibly can that counts maybe it's you love your neighbor who's really ornery that counts don't discount anything how are you participating in the reconciling work of God in the world? As someone who is in Christ, an ambassador, participating in what God is doing. In just a moment, Bree's going to sing a song. It talks about making all things new. Because this is what God does. Makes things new. So I want to just let her sing that over us. Let those words sink in. Take just a moment and think about that last question. How are you participating in the reconciling work of God in the world? as we close therefore if anyone is in Christ new creation has come the old has gone and a new thing has been born all of this is from God who is reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting our sins against us And he has committed us to this message of reconciliation church be encouraged there is hope and there is forgiveness and there is healing and there is new beginnings in Christ if you're here today and you have never experienced that jump geronimo by faith say yes and begin walking this out it's not magic just yes 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 god okay fine Anne lamott tells the story of her conversion she was drunk on the curb and it involved a four-letter word and it was just like you know what You can fill in the blank. That was her yes. So if it sounds like that for you, great. And if you have said yes to Christ, gang, this is what we've been called to. To be ambassadors of this message of reconciliation, of hope, and of justice, and of restoring God's good world that he made good, and he wants back. So join us? That's the question. That's what we're about as a community. Demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus in the world and partner with God in the reconciliation of all things. So, grace and peace to you.
0: Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter Awaken Community See you next time